Hiya indeed. Welcome to episode 59 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch podcast, where we talk about everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. And if you're not, I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM on all socials. So why not give me a follow? Reach out to me over on Twitter. I'd love to interact with you. Questions, comments, concerns, topics, anything you want me to talk about on the show, please drop me a DM, tweet at me, whatever you've got there, and I will gladly bring it to the show. Now, you can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. So leave us a review, tell your friends, all that jazz. And, of course, if you'd like to catch more of myself, that's at SirDRJM, or some other brilliant minds in the Overwatch scene, check out Ready, Set, Pwn, also available on podcast services everywhere. Um, It is, of course, your premier source for everything Vancouver Titans and Toronto Defiant. So a little more Overwatch League focused, but overall a bang old good time. But of course, you're here for One Man Watchpoint, episode 59. So without further ado, let's dive on in. Brilliant! Now we're going to kick this week's episode off with, of course, a news story that we actually missed between recording and posting uh, last week, of course, We had been recording on Mondays, posting on Wednesdays. We will be going back to uh, recording on Tuesdays and posting on Wednesdays, which, of course, means your next episode of One Man Watchpoint will be airing on November 3rd. That is the episode you're listening to currently. The following episode after that will come on November 17th. But don't fret. You'll still get to hear my lovely voice over on the Ready, Set, Pwn podcast every other week. So the next episode of Ready, Set, Pwn will be posting on November 10th and then the 24th, etc., etc. So you'll still get your weekly dose of Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM on all social services out there. Um, But you will only see One Man Watchpoint every other week. And on the off weeks, you will see Ready, Set, Pwn. So now that that's covered, I can get back to the news story, which of course came out on uh, October 26th, the Tuesday after I had recorded last week. And it's going to take us over to Dexerto.com with an article by Bill Cooney, which reads, BlizzCon Online 2022 cancelled to focus on Overwatch 2 Diablo 4 development. Blizzard have cancelled BlizzCon Online, or BlizzCon Line, if you will, 2022, and said they'll instead be focusing on, quote, progressing development for upcoming games like Overwatch 2. BlizzCon Line 2022 had been all set to happen in February 2022. Fans had updates for Diablo 4, Overwatch 2, and even a potential untitled, unannounced title codenamed Iris to get excited about. However, on October 26, 2021, Blizzard cancelled the event, explaining that the time and energy spent putting it on would be better suited elsewhere. In a post titled, quote, Reimagining BlizzCon, uh, I don't know, I didn't need the quote there, did I? Blizzard said they had decided to put a pause on planning the previously announced event. Quote, at this time, we feel the energy it would take to put on a show like this is best directed towards supporting our teams and progressing development of our games and experiences, end quote, they wrote. The developer also said they want to, quote, reimagine what BlizzCon, what a BlizzCon event of the future could look like. Whatever the event looks like in the future, we also need to ensure that it feels as safe, welcoming, and inclusive as possible, they continued. We're committed to continual communication with our players, and we will, and we see BlizzCon playing a big role in that going forward. 
One more thing we want to make clear. Even though we aren't holding BlizzCon Line in February, we'll still be making announcements and updates for our games, end quote, Blizzard added. While disappointing to some fans, BlizzCon Line 2022 could still happen later on in the year. After everything that's gone on at Blizzard in 2021, really focusing on the development of upcoming games like Overwatch 2 might not be a bad idea. So, um, interesting stuff to say the least there. I don't think this was incredibly surprising, given everything that's happened uh, lately with the Activision Blizzard lawsuit, of course, with the state of California. And ultimately, this is probably the right decision. If Blizzard were to go ahead with BlizzCon Line 2022, especially with it being in February, which, you know, it's beginning of November, so realistically, three, four months away, um, that's not a huge time frame. And with everything going on, I think it's best that, you know, for as large of a company as Blizzard uh, or the Blizzard division of Activision Blizzard is, it's kind of best that they go quiet for a little while, focus on the things that we already know are in the pipe. And especially if, if they're doing this, this probably says they don't have a ton to show or they don't have enough to show. Um, I would suspect, given the past couple of years of BlizzCon that we've seen and the past few events and uh, larger unveilings of things like Overwatch 2 that they've had, um, I would suspect that they don't have enough that's new to show us. And on top of that, it takes an immense amount of effort for them to build these vertical slices just so they can show them off to the public at these events. Now, this also, of course, um, adds to my theory that I've talked about before, which was to say, if the game were launching um, around the time of the start of the next season of the Overwatch League, which I believe is confirmed for April or an April timeframe, then they would have had to already have announced a lot of things. Uh, they would want a public beta already announced and in the pipeline. They would probably want, um, I mean, realistically, probably want a release date set. They would also probably uh, have a ton of media coverage already planned. I think I've, I've talked before about the fact that uh, before they had announced that the next season of the Overwatch League would be played on Overwatch 2, uh, they, generally speaking, video games will have about a six-month PR cycle before they release. And at the time that I said that, we were about six months out from April. Then, shortly after that, they announced the Overwatch 2 uh, season would be played on... Uh, sorry, the Overwatch League season would be played on Overwatch 2. And that was almost exactly six months out. So I thought to myself, well, you know, I could be eating my words here. This could be how it starts. This could be the start of the press cycle. Given how quiet everything has been since then, and given the the small details we do know about uh, Overwatch 2, it really kind of became less and less likely that the game would be launching around that time. Given all of that, I think that kind of lends credence to the fact that they're not going to have a ton to show at BlizzCon. Now, with this coming out, obviously BlizzCon cancelled for now, or for 2022. However, like Bill says in the article there, could easily be pushed, could go back to November, um, which I believe is when they used to have uh, BlizzCon in person. I, I could be wrong on that, but for some reason I feel like that's right, and February was more the online, whatever, rescheduling of it, if you will. Um, so they, they certainly could still have an event. However, this kind of says to me, they're going to be focusing on trying to meet certain goals and targets with this game. The question that I really truly have is does this game launch in 2022 at all? And that, of course, leads us to today's development. 
So this news story, we're going to jump on over to Gigi Recon with an article by Jack Marsh posted today, November 2nd, which reads, Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4 delays confirmed by Activision. Activision Blizzard has confirmed that their two upcoming titles, Diablo 4 and Overwatch 2, have been delayed. The company revealed that both titles in the pipeline will be launched later than originally envisioned. The developers claim that the delays to the titles will give them, quote, some extra time to complete production and continue growing their creative resources, end quote, whilst it remains unclear as to whether we will see either of them in 2022. No time frame was added to either project. However, Activision appears to be admitting that their predicted revenue from both titles may not arrive in the next year, inferring that it may be 2023 by the time they launch. Quote, these decisions will push out the financial uplift that we had expected to see next year, end quote. The report reads, although they remain, quote, confident that this is the right course of action for our people, our players, and the long-term success of our franchises. They've then got... A uh, uh, tweet embedded in the article there from Stephen Totillo, who, if I'm not mistaken, I'm just going to check his Twitter profile, is covering video games for Axios, co-author of the Axios Gaming Newsletter, former Kotaku editor-in-chief. I know him as editor-in-chief of Kotaku, but I digress. His, uh, his tweet there is Diablo 4 and Overwatch 2 delayed, and a screenshot of the slide that Activision put out as the official word on this. Now, the article continues, Despite the delays to Overwatch 2, we will still be seeing the game in action throughout 2022, even if the public cannot get their hands on it. Activision confirmed that the Overwatch League will start, as usual, in spring, on an early build of the sequel's 5v5 competitive mode. The finale of the OWL 2021 season ended with a record-breaking number of viewers, many of whom feared that it could be the final goodbye to some of their heroes. Diablo fans may find some comfort in the fact that the remastered Diablo 2 Resurrected was the most sold remastered title in the company's history, beating the likes of the Call of Duty Modern Warfare campaign, having been released in September. Their upcoming mobile game, Diablo Immortal, is still planned for release in early 2022, despite the elusive Diablo 4 being delayed. The published quarterly report doesn't read as doom and gloom for Activision, though, as the company revealed that throughout their entire collection of titles, including King's Candy Crush, Blizzard's World of Warcraft, and the gargantuan Call of Duty franchise, the publishers made a jaw-dropping $1.3 billion on microtransactions alone. Although their overall stock may be at a five-year low, presumably, presumably due to their looming lawsuits investigating workplace harassment and sexism, and delays to two major titles, Activision did say that they are excited about the future, especially with the Call of Duty ecosystem being the best they've ever seen it. So obviously this is the big story making the rounds today, um, all about the fact that we are not going to be getting Overwatch 2 uh, anytime soon based on based on exactly what we're seeing here. So I would like to draw everyone's attention over to my own personal Twitter, where I responded to a tweet from uh, that Liz Richardson made over on .esports.com, where she linked to the article that they posted on .esports outlining exactly these details. And she says, today's investor update revealed that Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4 will be delayed. According to the same presentation, though, the Overwatch League will stay, will still be running on an early build of Overwatch 2 in April. So I responded to her tweet there and said, I think this is good news. They're basically saying we need to soft launch the product for Overwatch League to run on, but we aren't going to push the full product out to the public until it's closer to ready. Hopefully the product is up to snuff for Owl, though. So essentially, I'm I'm looking at this. I Yes, I am looking for the positives, okay? Um, you call it copium, call it hopium, call it whatever you want. Um, I look at this as 
a mostly good thing in the fact that uh, they're not going to be putting out either a half-baked product or half of a product to the public. Now, what I mean by that is there's been a lot of talk and a lot of speculation about if the Overwatch League is moving to Overwatch 2 in the beginning, or not in the beginning, sorry, at the start of the next season, there must be a public beta coming, um, which means the release thereafter is probably imminent. Now, along those same lines, a part of the sort of speculation around that was that, okay, if that's the case, we could easily see uh, Blizzard release Overwatch 2 as sort of maybe the online is free to play and you have to pay for the uh, the single player campaign, or maybe they bundle a the online with a part of the single player and then you have to pay to play more of it. So essentially, you're only getting what is actually ready for play and then they're going to be adding more in afterwards. Now certainly, that could still be the fact. And this game could still have a public beta shortly after the start of the next Overwatch League season, and the game could launch at any given point after that, right? But for the purpose of this argument, I think this means that they've already committed to the Overwatch League playing on Overwatch 2. For them to go back on that would simply confuse people more, simply confuse the pros more, confuse all the organizations involved in the Overwatch League, and you'd probably see some pretty harsh backlash from those organizations. Now, keep in mind, the reason I bring up those organizations is because they are, um, in their own right, multi-million dollar organizations. They had to pay a large price to buy into the franchise uh, system that is the Overwatch League. I don't think they want to piss those people off. I think that's when you start seeing things like what happened with the LA Valiant, where uh, the ownership group basically decided, hey, we want out. We want to sell to another organization. Um, and of course, I'm talking about the Overwatch, uh, or sorry, the uh, LA Valiant going into this past season of the Overwatch League when they moved from the North American market over to the Chinese market and all that jazz that happened then. So, I don't think they want to upset those people more than they may already be upset given the Overwatch League uh, shift to Overwatch 2. So they're not going to rescind that sort of announcement and uh, unveiling and all that stuff. Um, those teams have already been building their rosters, strategizing and planning to play 5v5 Overwatch 2. So they're obviously going to continue with that plan. Now, who knows what they were planning for the other side of Overwatch 2, which is, of course, the public release. So that's where I say the speculation is on um, all, the, all the talk of how do they release this game. My hope is that in them doing this and in them saying this, Overwatch League is going to be essentially a preview of the game. We're going to be able to watch the pros play the game in some ways as it's being built obviously i do believe that it's going to be a steady stable version of the game i don't think we're going to see you know a, a, a less than great product that they're playing on however the balancing and the tweaks to the characters certainly i think we will see some pretty drastic changes throughout the season um, which used to be relatively commonplace um, this past season of the Overwatch League, I think they probably did a better job than ever of making sure that uh, uh, balance patches and things like that only went into place um, after each tournament cycle in that sort of off period of time um, between the uh, the A team winning the, the tournament cycle and the next uh, cycle sort of starting. I do think they kind of 
figured out that format and and really sort of nailed it down a lot better than they had previously. Because previously we saw things like uh, the game shifting to a um, Roadhog meta just before the Grand Finals, which of course screwed over certain teams and allowed certain other teams to really flex. Um, that's a whole another thing that we've talked about on episodes of old, though. So, my point is, I think that the Overwatch League will largely still be in flux. We may see more significant changes throughout the season than we had previously given all of this. But at the same time, I think this means that what they're pushing for is the public launch of the product, the final launch of the product when it actually releases to the public. I think they're pushing for that product to be as complete a package as they possibly can. Um, I think they want the public to get their hands on the whole thing at once or none of it. And I don't know how, but they've obviously convinced the higher-ups that that's the case. Um, in my mind, that's that's great because we then get a complete product. We get the campaign, uh, single, whatever you want to call it, co-op campaign, plus the uh, multiplayer side of things that we know and love um, all together as one package. Now, the one thing that my thoughts on this that I've already expressed, obviously, doesn't take into account is, of course the professionals um there's a good chance that this does pretty significantly fracture the uh player base you're basically cutting off any tier two scene you had which of course is meant to be the the sort of feeder into the league now of course there's the argument that uh the game is still a sequel to the game. It's not going to change everything. Um, you are still going to have skills in Overwatch 1 that apply to Overwatch 2, even if it's in its adjusted form. So there's certainly that. But there is, to an extent, an argument to be made that the Tier 2 scene could very well not last because of these changes um, and because the League will be focused on, on Overwatch 2. You could very much have the current player's in Overwatch, uh, in the Overwatch League, playing on Overwatch 2, be the only players that can play um, at that high a level. I don't think that's going to happen. I think you will always have people that have sort of transferable skills, even from from almost any game to another. Um, you know, we saw a number of players leave the Overwatch League and go to Valorant. Um, I'm sure players will come back as well. Um, so that's that's not a huge concern to me but i do think that you know that is sort of the one side that um is kind of getting burned by this again i think what it ultimately comes down to in a lot of ways is simply how the league approaches this i think they really 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 and i can't stress that really enough need to make a big deal out of the league this upcoming season. They need to make it a celebration of everything Overwatch. They need to make it a huge event every game, but especially the start, obviously, to get people in. But every game needs to be a huge event, a huge uh, sort of, this is the only place you can get this action. This is the only place you can see Overwatch 2 uh, in its fullest, played by the best players of the game, and really get a taste of what the next game is going to be. Um, I think they, they're, they're going to have to have content to sort of drip feed us throughout the year. If they don't, I mean, ultimately Overwatch 2 is going to sell. There's, there's only one way to cut it. It is an Activision Blizzard game following up the hugely successful first game in the series. 
and this game won't miss. That's the fact. Um, the future of the league is the thing that's at the highest risk. But again, I even I don't think it's at risk by any means. Again, as I mentioned before, these are multi-million dollar organizations that buy a spot in the Overwatch League. Um, even if one day the league ends, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. It's not going to fold overnight. Um, and we'll certainly see some drastic changes before anything immensely destructive um, comes from this. So hopefully those thoughts made sense. I know I'm kind of rambling and kind of piecing this together as I go, um, but th this is just my gut reaction. I don't think this is doom and gloom. Um, yes, in the past, the one sort of side of things that I often forget about is the players. I, I forget how the players and organizations will will see this announcement, will see these changes and everything like that. I tend to think of the public uh, side of things more than anything, which makes sense because I am a member of the public. Um, you know, I look forward to this game. I started this podcast because I thought, <laughs> I kid you not, I thought, hey, this seems like a good time given Overwatch 2 is on the horizon. And uh, that was uh, over a year ago, given we're on episode 59 of One Man Watchpoint, but I actually took a pretty significant break for a couple months there halfway through uh, after starting the podcast. So probably more like a year and a half, almost two years ago, I started this um, on the simple fact that uh, I wanted to celebrate Overwatch. So ultimately, I don't think this is a, a bad thing. I think this is a good thing for the public. I think this is a good thing for the game as a whole. Um, the only part that remains in question is realistically sort of that competitive integrity side of the game. But even still, as I mentioned before, I'm I'm not worried for this game or this league. I think there's a bright future ahead. Um, the next season might be a little rocky. We might see some significant changes. We might we'll certainly even see some significant names leave the league, uh, just like we did this this past off season already. But ultimately. The league will will move on, and uh, we will all look forward to Overwatch 2. Now, that actually brings us to the end of the news segment of the show. That's right, we only had two stories, and they were exactly a week apart. Um, but all of that said, I, uh, I would, of course, like to now jump on over to Liz Richardson's... Pause for effect. Overwatch League 2021 Off-Season Trade Tracker. So, of course, as always, we're going to start here just by reading out what happened on the day, according to what Liz Richardson has posted, and we'll then move on to uh, dive into some of the articles that are written about uh, those announcements, just to outline them in a little bit more detail. So, October 26th, the Boston Uprising signed DPS Striker. Los Angeles Gladiators signed Main Tank Rainer. And Philadelphia Fusion announced Alarm will return for 2022. So let's dive right into the probably the biggest announcement on that list, which of course is Stryker returning to the Boston Uprising. So let's jump over to Liz Richardson's article on October 26th from DottieSports.com where she writes, Stryker returns to Boston Uprising for 2022 Overwatch League season. In the Overwatch League, retirement is only a temporary phase. When players emerge from their extended vacation, they often head back to comfortable places to continue their journeys. Former San Francisco Shock DPS Striker has exited retirement and will join the Boston Uprising in 2022, according to an announcement by the team. Striker began his career in the Overwatch League on the Boston Uprising, where he was the team's tracer specialist and clutch DPS throughout the inaugural season. With Stryker and Coach Krusty on board, the Boston Uprising experienced a massive win streak in the latter part of the 2018 season. 
As the second season came around, however, both Stryker and Krusty headed for the San Francisco Shock. Stryker was a huge part of the Shock's back-to-back championship wins, especially the 2020 run where his tracer was considered a game-changer against the Seoul Dynasty. Midway through the 2021 season, Stryker retired from the San Francisco Shock and competitive Overwatch as a whole. His exit was sudden and unexpected by most fans. As the offseason rolled around, though, Stryker indicated a desire to return to the game, and Boston apparently heeded his call. Stryker joins Flex DPS Valentine in the damage lineup. Boston's support line is also set with main support Faith, confirmed for the 2022 season, and former Houston Outlaws Flex support Crimzo joining the team. So there you have it. Uh, definitely not one that I think most people could see coming, uh, Stryker making his return, just given I don't think we've seen many players come out of retirement to rejoin the league. Usually the, the retirement part is the goodbye. Now, of course, that's not necessarily true. Um, you know, we saw a player like Ons leave this past season to go to Valorant, um, and he he's now come back. Uh, I don't remember if we've talked about where he is already. I believe we've already talked about the fact that he was uh, has moved to the Los Angeles Gladiators now, but he did rejoin San Francisco when he came back. Um, but outside of that, uh, I don't really have any players coming to mind that officially announced they were retiring and then came back. Um, as Liz mentioned there in her article, it was certainly shocking when he retired partway through this season. Um, felt a little bit like, you know, maybe he was frustrated uh, with the lack of results that the team, the San Francisco Shock, was seeing this past season, and not threw his arms up, but mostly just decided it was time to call it quits. Now, looking back, perhaps maybe he should have just, you know, taken a leave kind of thing, or not necessarily announced he was retiring altogether, but just stepped away from the game for a little bit, which is apparently what he did. Um, shocking to see him go to the Boston Uprising. Now, if you listen to Plat Chat um, and you listen to their most recent episode, they talk about the fact that there may have been some drama surrounding Stryker um, and his uh, his attitude towards other players on the San Francisco Shock and and how he played with them and certain things like that. Um, so certainly the the reputation could have been a little bit damaging, and of course word spreads and. And certainly, I'm, I'm sure, um, I'm not even sure who the coach of uh, Boston is right now, but I'm sure they probably talked to the fine folks over at NRG, the, the organization that owns the San Francisco Shock and Coach Krusty, and probably discussed um, what exactly happened before they agreed to uh, to bring Stryker back. Or perhaps, you know, they're just ready to take that on and uh, maybe more successful in dealing with it, managing it kind of thing. Um, but who knows? This this certainly is a significant up, significantly upgraded team uh, than the Boston we've seen before. And I mean, by all means, Tracer has pretty much always been a solid pick. Um, certainly there's been metas where she's not the best, uh, but Tracer is a pretty reliable character. Um, in terms of the Overwatch League, and pretty consistently played. So, should be a big one for the Boston Uprising. Now, let's see. We're still on the 26th. Um, the Los Angeles Gladiators, of course, signing main tank Reiner, Reiner, Reiner I'm not sure which, uh, didn't have a ton, or I don't have a ton to say about him. I've heard good things that uh, he may be a pretty significant pickup, um, maybe, you know, coming in as a rookie, he'll be a little bit under the tutelage of space, of course, and certainly I don't think space is going anywhere. Um, I mean, obviously we know he's staying with the Los Angeles Gladiators, but to that I mean uh, space is still a, a top-tier uh, tank player, 
And given the switch to 5v5 in Overwatch 2, I think we're only uh, going to see space played more consistently. But hopefully uh, him and Reiner working together can kind of build a good synergy between each other. Um, you know, maybe where one plays certain heroes, the other plays certain other ones, or something like that. Um, but I digress, Los Angeles is also shaping up to be quite the force to be reckoned with. And that, of course, brings us to the final October 26th with Alarm uh, announcing he's returning to the Philadelphia Fusion. So Philly right now, as far as I recall, um, only have Carpe and Alarm. Now Alarm, certainly a really solid uh, player for the Philadelphia Fusion. Um, not entirely shocking to see him coming back, but obviously uh, he, he must have wanted to secure that bag or something to that extent. And so he's, uh, it's just now being announced that he's sticking with Philly. Moving on from there, we'll jump on to October 27th with the Philadelphia Fusion adding hitscan DPS MN3. Los Angeles Gladiators promoting Face to head coach, and the team also adding Hunter and Smash as assistant coaches. So in terms of MN3, I don't have a ton to say about uh, about that announcement, just because, again, I don't usually know the rookies when they're coming into the league. Um it was announced through the Philadelphia Fusion Twitter account, of course. MN3 has dominated contenders. Now it's time for him to conquer the league. So just looking at the tweet there, they have a highlight reel of MN3's gameplay. And it appears he uh, uh, is probably coming from, I think that's Talon Esports' logo. Um, I don't follow contenders or the, the tier two scene very much at all. So that would be surprising, or that would be news to me, at least I should say. Um, but for all intents and purposes... Um, should be a solid pickup for the Philadelphia Fusion. Now, let's move on to uh, the article by Andre Gonzalez Rodriguez over on .esports.com, posted on October 27th, which reads, LA Gladiators brings on face as head coach, adds Hunter and Smash as assistant coaches. After parting ways with former head coach Depay earlier this month, the Los Angeles Gladiators have found its new head coach in the form of Sam Face Merriweather, the Overwatch League team announced today. LA also added Max Unterwerzacker and B1 Smash Cho as assistant coaches. The ever-so-perennial contender didn't have a horrible season this year by any means, but it was seemingly time for a change. The letting go of Depay and a number of other players on the roster, namely Flex DPS Mirror, Main Tank Muse, and Support uh, Moth, signified somewhat of a new era for the Gladiators moving forward. Add in the retirement of Overwatch legend Birdring earlier this month, and the Overwatch League team has had its hands full going into the offseason. Replacing a head coach who held this position for four years is in no way can be easy, but that's where Face comes in. As a former assistant coach under the aforementioned Depay, Face had to, has had sorry, plenty of time to learn what it takes to perform in the role. The now head coach has been around the scene since 2018, having previously coached teams like the old 2019 NRG Esports and Talon Esports rosters before moving up to the official Overwatch League. Though they aren't as tenured as Face, the two new assistant coaches bring value of their own. As a former player and later coach, Unter has a plethora of experience to bring to the table. He played for a number of contenders teams and coached several OWL teams, such as the Los Angeles Valiant in 2020, and most recently, the Atlanta Reign this year. Smash brings a different type of experience, one that saw him coach for a number of teams in the contender scene in China and Korea. Similar to Unter, Smash has had his hands on the game as a player back in the Overwatch Apex, Apex Challengers Season 3. Now with its coaching staff filled up, the Gladiators only have a handful of signings left until the org's off-season pickups can be classified as finished. So there you have it. That's the announcement about, uh, or the article, 
about the coaching staff on the Los Angeles Gladiators. Now this, I, a bit of a tangent, um, I don't have too much to say about any of these coaches because I do still think that the sort of, uh, I don't know, the definitions around a lot of these roles is relatively undefined. Um, I think it's getting better compared to the, the, the first season I started watching the league, which at this point I think was season two. Um, it very much felt for a long time like it was the, there wasn't a hard line between what a GM did, what a coach did, what an assistant coach did. Maybe assistant coach did a little less than the other two, but it wasn't really clear um, GM versus coach. Uh, some were more forward-facing, some were not. Some worked with the players a lot, whereas some did sort of the back office, more of the, I don't know, contract money dealings, things like that. I think it's getting a little more clear, but ultimately I love to see announcements like this where they really sort of um, are celebrating the the direct coaching staff that's going to work with the team. Now that's not to say the the other side of it isn't important. I know with the Los Angeles Gladiators, they're one of the few teams I, I could actually name their their general manager in Brenda Sa. Um, so it's it's... I think they're doing everything right is what I'm saying. I really like watching the gladiators as a business operate um, and see what they're doing. Now, of course, there's the whole DPA drama and and I don't truly know what happened there, which, you know, there are probably very few people who actually know what happened there. Um, but regardless, I like how public they're being. I like these announcements that they're making celebrating uh, sort of the staff as a whole and everything that's going on because these ultimately are just as important as the players. Um... Looking at the other uh, announcements from October 27th, there are none. Whoops, my bad. I was looking at the wrong day. Let's move on to October 28th. First, with the Toronto Defiant signing main support Korong. Boston Uprising adds Tank Marvel and re-signs DPS Valentine. Washington Justice signs Flex Support Krillin. Philadelphia Fusion signs DPS Zest. So, of course, the big one here, uh, probably two big ones in my mind. The first big one being Toronto Defiant signing main support Korong. So this is an exciting one as a Toronto Defiant fan. Um, there's been a lot of hype around Korong, Korong sorry, coming up from contenders. And uh, although it was rumored by Halo um, that this was going to be happening, uh, so maybe a little bit spoiled, I think still think it's very exciting to see this happening, um, this player coming in to play alongside our favorite Twilight. So really looking forward to this. Really looking forward to seeing what the Toronto roster this season can do. Of course, they've still got a spot or two left to fill at this moment. Boston Uprising adding Tank Marvel and re-signing DPS. Of course, we're really seeing Boston's team sort of fleshed out here. Pretty surprising to see Marvel coming over um, to the team. Uh, a little less surprising to see them re-signing Valentine. I don't necessarily think Valentine uh, lived up to the hype that surrounded him going into this past season. However, I do think he was a solid pick. I just think he maybe struggled to perform um, consistently on the level that, that people thought he might. Washington Justice signing Flexport Krillin. Um, I don't really have too much to say about that. Krillin, another player coming up from Contenders, I believe. Um, doesn't look like they have too much in their announcement there about where exactly he was previously. Um, yeah, I'm just clicking through his, his account there on Twitter, and it doesn't say too, too much. And then, of course, another announcement for Philly. So Philly's been going crazy this past little while, um, making all their announcements uh, clear. And Zest, actually another player that looks like coming from uh, Talon Esports, if I am correct, in identifying that logo. If I'm not, then that's strike number two I've now got incorrect. 
Moving on to October 29th, we have the Atlanta Reign announcing its 2022 roster altogether. This one, um, I'll talk about it in a sec. <laughs> DPS player Kai, Nero, and Venom, Tanks, Gator, and Hawk supports OG and Ultraviolet. San Francisco Shock signed DPS player Proper and Kilo and support Finn. Toronto Defiant signs Tank Muse. Florida Mayhem parts ways with DPS Yaki. So first article there, Atlanta Rain announcing their 2022 roster. Um, I'm actually going to read the article here by Liz Richardson on .esports.com over on October 29th, and then we'll talk about it just a little bit more. Most teams in the Overwatch League are revealing their 2022 rosters piece by piece, waiting for details to be completed or trades to go through. Befitting the Atlanta Reign's aggressive style, the team has simply given its roster to the fans in one fell swoop. Atlanta announced its 2022 roster today, introducing some new faces to the Overwatch League and showing off its most recent acquisitions. Former San Francisco Shock DPS Charlie Nero Zwarg will be joining the Reign alongside Venom. Overwatch contenders fans will most likely recognize Venom under his previous name, Sigma, and remember him terrorizing teams with the tracer with his tracer play on Odyssey, part of the North American circuit. Hitscan DPS Kai will also be returning to the rain in 2022, despite his many social media posts trying to convince fans he was leaving. Atlanta's support line is instantly recognizable to anyone that watched North American contenders over the past few years. Main support OG and flex support Ultraviolet will reunite on the rain in 2022 after fighting it out in the path to pro. The two were most notably on American Tornado, one of the judgment team juggernaut sorry teams of Western contenders. Gator and Hawk will return. Uh, sorry, will run it back for the rain once again in 2022, meaning the tanks the team's tank line remains unchanged even as the league switches to Overwatch 2 in April. So wanted to read through that post because it does quickly touch on everyone that they announced there. Um, and also I wanted to bring that up because I love how Atlanta did this. Um, for someone who has gone on record as saying I am not a fan of the Atlanta organization as a whole, um, I actually think this, as Liz points out there, is totally befitting their whole uh, organization, their whole style, their whole sort of public image. Um, rather than teasing it out, rather than, uh, you know, giving us a drip feed of announcements, rather than sort of, you know, oh, we're going to announce something here and and maybe get some press on this day, and we're going to, oh, announce this one here, and, and hopefully we'll be the only one and get, you know, we'll kind of own that day. They just dropped their whole roster announcement just like that. No no question, no, uh, no fog in the air around these players. Just here it is. Here's our lineup. Look forward to it. Um, so I, I actually really dig how they did this. I don't know if I would with other organizations. Um, I do like the kind of, uh, not drip feed, I prefer things to be a little more steady, a little more consistent, which I think a team like Toronto is doing a great job of this season. Um, but I do like this, and I especially like this because it's occurred so early on in the offseason. Yes, we're maybe a month in, but I suspect there are teams who have nothing announced at this point who will be announcing nothing until very, very close to the trade deadline when they have to announce it. And so I really like this announcement because it's coming far out from that. I digress. Let's move on to the San Francisco Shock there. Uh, again, an article on DottieSports.com, this time October 29th. Another one by Andre Gonzalez Rodriguez, which reads, San Francisco Shock adds O2 Blast players, Finn, Kilo, and Proper. One of the most successful franchises in the Overwatch League has started its rebuilding process. The San Francisco Shock has added support Finn, uh, main DPS Kilo, and DPS proper to its roster, the organization announced today. This comes after the Californian team decided to drop seven players from its roster earlier this month. 
these three new players will compete alongside main tank Super and Flex Support Violet going into the 2022 season. Prior to these signings, the multiple-time championship team let go of DPS players Tayo, Nero, sorry, Tayo, Nero, Glister, and Ons, Flex Support, Twilight, Main Tank, Smurf, and Main Support, FD God. These departures were followed up by veteran off-tank Choyobin retiring. Finn, Kilo, and Proper were part of the Korean Contenders Team O2 Blast. During their time with the Korean team, they achieved a plethora of notable placings. They most recently won two straight Contenders Championships, making them back-to-back -back champions. The San Francisco Shock is a team used to nothing but success. After winning two championships back-to-back -back in 2019 and 2020, the team was looking to replicate that this year in... Uh, sorry, replicate that success in this year's season. But even though they had an impressive 12-4 record in the Overwatch League, the Shock didn't make any of the four tournament brackets throughout the year. They were also subsequently eliminated from Grand Finals contention in the postseason. Now, with the addition of the former members of the Contenders team, the Shock can look to continue its rebuilding process. So, wanted to bring this one up because obviously the San Francisco Shock um, of old are no more, and we now have an entirely new setup uh, consisting of mostly O2 Blast. Um, it's actually kind of interesting because we now have more of them than we do uh, the, the veteran presences on the team uh, in Super and Violet. Um, but regardless, I think the with, with sort of the leadership core they've got of Super and Violet, um, hopefully they've got some of that that calm and that uh, veteran presence, veteran experience uh, under their belts. And now they can use that to guide some of these rookies who obviously have the proven skills to do well. Um, and honestly, San Francisco Shock shake, shaping up to be quite the force to be reckoned with. Then, of course, we get to the Toronto announcement of Muse joining the team, coming from the Los Angeles Gladiators. Uh, Toronto tweeted, We hope this announcement sounds like music to your ears. Join us in welcoming at OW underscore Muse to the Defiant family as our main tank for the OWL 2022 season, pending league approval rise together. Um, so an exciting one here. I definitely don't think uh, Muse was off the table. Um, you know, I don't think Muse was a super groundbreaking, super stellar uh, tank player, but I do think he can hold his own and uh, hopefully with a little more experience and the chance to build a little more sort of synergy with his team members and everything, uh, hopefully Muse can make a big impact on Toronto. Then, of course, we come to the Florida Mayhem parting ways with DPS Yaki. Uh, not incredibly surprising given the season Florida had and everything. Um, Yaki was the only piece that Florida kept from their old their their roster of the past season. Um, I'd like to point out that I just ordered two hoodies from the Florida Mayhem, so I'm now calling them my Yaki Memorial jerseys. Uh, jerseys, they're hoodies, but still. Um, but interesting nonetheless. Um, I do think they they kind of kept Yaki as an option to move him. Um, you know, hopefully in a trade or something like that. Uh, but ultimately. I don't think we've seen the last of him. I think if he does end up on a team like the New York Excelsior, where he's heavily rumored to be going, um, I think we will definitely see some more crazy Yaki play, just like we're used to, and I'm glad for that at least. I'm also looking forward to finding out more about what the Florida Mayhem decide to do. Moving on from there, we're going to go to October 30th with the Paris Eternal signing DPS Glister. And that's going to take us over to another article on .esports.com, this time October 30th, by Andre Gonzalez-Rodriguez, which reads, Paris Eternal signs Glister for the 2022 season. 
Continuing its Overwatch League offseason as one of the few teams that didn't go for a full rebuild so far, the Paris Eternal welcomed DPS Glister earlier today. Like other Korean players in the league, Glister kicked off his career by taking part in a number of minor division teams in Korea until he joined Gen.G, playing in tournaments such as the NetEase Esports X Tournament and most notably Overwatch Contenders Korea. This led him to finally joining the Owl in the middle of the 2020 season. During his time in the league, Glister first played for the refurbished London Spitfire squad for the whole of the 2020 season. Not finding much success on the Spitfire, the Korean player found himself in one of the most prestigious teams and the back-to-back -back champions, the San Francisco Shock. Here, his new team had arguably a better overall performance for the season, even though the team failed to recreate its championship level of play. After being part of the seven players that the San Francisco Shock dropped, Glister now has found a new home in the form of the Paris Eternal. Glister will join DPS Naga main tank Don and, and support Khan oh, and Dredro after the French team decided to keep them. Apart from the players on the roster, assistant coach and former London Spitfire player J-Mac has adopted the head coaching position. That was, that was a mouthful for some reason. I don't know why my brain faltered on that. Now that Glister is paired up with Naga in the DPS front and the team has a tank and strong support line, the French team is inches away from a finished product. So uh, one of the nice things about that article that they point out there is Paris is uh, getting close to having a full roster, um, as we are seeing with a number of these teams. Um, I actually have, if you give me a sec to pull it up here, I have a spreadsheet that uh, sort of fills out the players who and, and teams that they are on. And we're slowly beginning to see a lot of these teams uh, filling up their roster. If we look, we've got, uh, you know, Atlanta Rain with seven. We've got Boston with six. We've got Chengdu with nine, which is just crazy. Dallas with eight. We've got uh, Guangzhou with six. Um, even even the Hangzhou Spark have five. Uh, Los Angeles Gladiators have seven. Uh, Paris has five now. San Francisco has five. Uh, Seoul has seven. Shanghai has eight. Uh, Washington has five. And then, of course, Oh, wait, no, Washington has seven, sorry, Toronto has five. So we're really seeing teams start to flesh out their rosters. Um, to talk on Glister for a second, Glister's going to be a pretty huge pickup for the Paris Eternal. Um, I do question how well he'll be able to work with the team. Um, he did definitely struggle a little bit on the San Francisco Shock, but I think San Francisco was really struggling to find what they wanted their lineup to actually look like. Um, and he's certainly going to get... Uh, a ton of playtime with the Paris Eternal, uh, not only because of the fact that, you know, they have a smaller roster at this point, um, and only one player in in each position, uh, with the exception of, oh no, they actually have a full roster. Oh right, 5v5. <laughs> so they do have a, f a full roster with one player in each slot, um, so Glister will certainly see playtime on the hitscan DPS role. But, I digress, the point is, um, I hope he, he has some good synergy with his teammates because Paris could be an awesome team uh, going into this next season. I know they surprised most people in this past season. Moving on from there, the Guangzhou charge on October 31st, add main support unique. I don't have much to say about that given this is another rookie player coming in. Um, I'm not even too sure where he's coming from, but there you go. And then, of course, the only announcement I have on the list or Liz has on her Overwatch 2022 uh, Overwatch League off-season trade tracker here, uh, 2021, whatever you want to call it. Um, the only announcement for November is Florida Mayhem signs DPS Hydron. So again, um, as I mentioned before, I was excited to see what Paris is doing, and we now have Hydron coming up. Nine contenders championships, 
three Mayhem Classic titles. He was forged in triumph, but now he's ready to hashtag bring the mayhem. Welcome home at King Hydron. That's what uh, the Florida Mayhem tweeted there. So Florida now has four players announced for their team um, with one player on a two-way contract, which is actually kind of interesting. That's uh, Sir Mahed or Majed on the flex support role. But they've got four players there. Uh, Hydron, Checkmate, and Sir Mahed. Why does why does my spreadsheet say four? That that looks to me like it's three. Oh, probably because Yaki was previously there and and he is now gone, of course. Anyways, I digress. I'm really looking forward to Florida again, mostly because I like the team as a whole. I thought their organization set a great example of how to run an organization, regardless of their success or not. I think they do a great job on the PR and social media side of things. Um, so I'm a big fan of the Florida Mayhem, and that's why I just ordered two sweaters from them. So I digress. Um, that's my rant about Florida for now. With that, that brings us to the end of the Overwatch League 2021 offseason trade tracker, trade watch owl tracker, whatever you want to call it. And uh, that also, of course, brings us to the end of the show. Be right back. All right, here we are at the end of another episode of One Man Watchpoint. This was episode 59 of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch podcast. Thank you very much for listening. I'm, of course, your host at Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM on all socials, especially over on Twitter where you can follow me, you can reach out to me, you can uh, DM me, uh, whatever you want there. Please give me topics, give me questions, give me comments, give me whatever you want over there, and I'm happy to talk about it on the show. Um, I really would like to engage with people over there. Uh, I know I've had a few people uh, DM me I, who are either listening here or are listening to me over on Ready, Set, Pwn. Um, and I'm more than happy to go back and forth with you. Um, also, I should mention I am active on, well, semi-active on the Ready, Set, Pwn Discord as well. I don't have a personal Discord because, uh, well, maybe one day. But anyways, um, so if you feel like it, pop over there. Feel free to hit me up on there as well, um, and we can chat. You can, of course, find this podcast on all your favorite podcast services out there, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. So give us a follow, leave us a review, tell your friends, all that jazz. And if you do uh, leave a review, then I'll happily, happily read it on the next episode of One Man Watchpoint. Now, the next episode of One Man Watchpoint, a bit of a reminder, will, of course, post uh, on November 17th. So we are switching to an every other week format. But as I mentioned at the top of the show, you can catch me over on the Ready, Set, Pwn podcast, your premier source for everything Vancouver Titans and Toronto Defiant uh, next week. So again, we will be rotating weeks where we do uh, Ready, Set, Pwn and One Man Watch Point. So check us both out on podcast services everywhere. Once again, I'm your host, Sir Dr. JM. That's at Sir DRJM. Thank you very much for listening to episode 59 of One Man Watchpoint, and we will catch you in two weeks' time. Thanks, love.